Hello there, everyone. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 145, and today we're diving into pharmacology and talking about ACE in inhibitors. Before we do that, let's take a quick moment for our listener shout out. And this one is from Missy who writes, I have been a nurse for 11 years and I have been listening to this podcast on the regular since I discovered it. I love that it brings me back to the basics. And let's face it, even after nursing, as long as I have, I still learn something new each time I listen. Thanks, Nurse Mo. Hey, Missy, thank you so much. It's so funny because I was just having this conversation with a couple of nurse friends just this past week. So I was in, I was actually at work yesterday and one of my coworkers came up to me and said, Hey, I had a patient who had a thyroidectomy and I wasn't sure how to care for her. So I listened to your podcast real quick on that subject. And I said, Oh my gosh, that's exactly why I recorded that podcast because I had a patient with a thyroidectomy. And when I went online real quick before I got the patient and researched all the things that I needed to do and watch out for and, and, uh, you know, monitor for to take care of this patient and keep her safe, I thought, wow, this is really interesting. I'm going to make a podcast episode about it. So it's so funny that you say that because I use it as a way to learn myself. And I've also been a nurse for about 10, about 10 years as well. So definitely not just for nursing students. I took a patient to the ICU uh, a week or so ago. And one of the nurses came up to me and said, I was just on your Pinterest board because I needed to look something up so that I could take really good care of one of my patients. I mean, that's not what she said exactly. Um, but basically, that's what she said. Like she used my Pinterest boards to find information because it pertained to something having to do with her patients. So anyway, definitely not just for students, Missy. And I'm so glad that you find it helpful. And I appreciate that you took the time out of your busy schedule to review and rate this podcast. So if you guys want to be on the listener shout out, simply write a review and you might be the next person that I talk to over the podcast. So today, you guys, we are diving in to ACE in inhibitors. So super common drug that you will see on exams that you'll see in the clinical setting and on your case studies. So ACE inhibitors are angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitors. And these are one type of medication that disrupts the RAS pathway, the renin angiotensin aldosterone system, that whole pathway, it disrupts it. To really understand how these drugs work, it's important, of course, to review RAS, right? And RAS is one of the main ways that the body controls blood pressure and fluid balance. So if you're in my Crucial Concepts Bootcamp, you know I've got a whole lesson on RAS. I've got some other lessons that really set you up for pharmacology success. So if you're in Bootcamp, go check that out. I'm going to review it quickly here. So in that RAS pathway, the nice thing about RAS is that the letters clue you in to what the next step in the pathway is. So even though it's easy to remember all of the components, renin, angiotensin, aldosterone, sometimes it's a little fuzzy and we forget everything that actually happens. So let's review that here. Renin is secreted by the kidneys in response to lower blood pressure or when sodium levels are lower. So renin secreted by the kidneys in response to lower blood pressure or lower sodium levels in the blood. Renin is an enzyme that acts upon angiotensinogen to convert it into angiotensin 1. 
Okay, I'm going to say that again. Renin is an enzyme that acts upon angiotensinogen to convert it into angiotensin 1. And here's where we get our angiotensin converting enzyme, ACE. ACE cleaves amino acids from angiotensin 1, and this converts it into angiotensin 2. And angiotensin 2 is where the money is, you guys. Angiotensin 2 is going to exert its influence on the body in a bunch of different ways. So it's going to increase systemic vascular resistance and MAP, mean arterial pressure or blood pressure, through vasoconstriction. It's going to stimulate the reabsorption of sodium in the renal tubule to promote fluid retention. Remember, water follows salt. Angiotensin 2 stimulates the pituitary to release antidiuretic hormone, ADH, which increases fluid retention. It triggers the thirst center in the brain to promote fluid intake on behalf of the patient. It facilitates the release of norepinephrine, which is a potent vasoconstrictor. And we just talked about norepinephrine recently on the podcast. It stimulates cardiac hypertrophy and it tells the adrenal cortex to release aldosterone. And aldosterone tells the kidneys to increase sodium and fluid retention. So if this RAS pathway results in higher blood pressure, a disrupted RAS pathway is used to lower blood pressure and ACE inhibitors definitely disrupt this pathway by inhibiting that conversion of angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2. So make sense? Okay, very good. So now let's talk about what drugs are ACE inhibitors. How do you recognize that the drug you're looking at on your exam or your case study or in clinical is an ACE inhibitor. The generic name of that drug is going to end in PRIL, P-R-I-L. Some common ones are lisinopril, enalapril, and captopril. Okay, so ACE inhibitors end in PRIL. Got it? Okay, write that on a post-it note, stick it on the bathroom mirror, stare at it every time you brush your teeth, okay? So what conditions are ACE inhibitors used to treat? So if you think about all the things that angiotensin 2 does, we're going to kind of think about the opposites of that, right? So ACE inhibitors are used to treat heart failure. They're used to treat hypertension and are often given after myocardial infarction. So let's talk about each of these. So heart failure is one of the things that we will give ACE inhibitors for one of the conditions that it will treat. And the benefit of ACE inhibitors in heart failure are relative to its effect on fluid volume status. So recall that patients who have heart failure often have fluid volume excesses, which can definitely affect pulmonary function. So ACE inhibitors decrease fluid volume, they reduce afterload, thereby improving cardiac output, we're decreasing preload and reducing edema in the periphery. So working together, the effects of ACE inhibitors reduce workload on the heart and enable it to work more efficiently. Okay, and we also work to get that fluid off so that we don't get that pulmonary congestion as well. 
For hypertension, now when we disrupt that RAS pathway, we get arterial dilation, so we get the opposite of that vasoconstriction, and we get decreased blood volume, which is the opposite of the fluid retention that the angiotensin II promotes. And both of these together lead to decreased blood pressure. So decreased blood pressure through less fluid volume and less vasoconstriction or arterial dilation. And then for myocardial infarction, after a patient has a myocardial infarction, captopril and lisinopril have been shown to reduce mortality after MI and are most effective when started within one to two days. You notice that angiotensin II stimulates cardiac hypertrophy, and we want to avoid that. And after a myocardial infarction, we get remodeling, and that remodeling makes the heart work less efficiently. So we can hopefully reduce the effects of that by giving giving an ACE inhibitor. So in order to give ACE inhibitors safely, you need to understand some of the adverse effects associated with them so that you can keep an eye out for them. So one of the things, and this will be on your exams, you guys, so write this down, put this on the post-it note next to the other one on your mirror that says ACE inhibitors in Denpril. Write this down. ACE inhibitors can cause hyperkalemia. Okay, so ACE inhibitors can lead to hyperkalemia, and you want to be especially aware of this if your patient is taking a potassium-sparing diuretic like spironolactone, and if they're taking a lot of those salt substitutes that contain potassium. Sometimes they contain potassium, so you have to be very careful, and you want to make sure you educate your patient to avoid those, because let's say they have a cardiac issue, they're on that cardiac diet, so they're on a sodium-restricted diet, so they reach for the salt substitute, but hold up, it's got a bunch of potassium in it, so you want to make sure that they choose one that does not. So hyperkalemia can be associated with ACE inhibitor use, so you would avoid an ACE inhibitor and a potassium-sparing diuretic such as spironolactone. And if the patient is on both of those, my golly, you're keeping a really close eye on their potassium levels can also cause the patient to have kind of this dry, annoying cough. A lot of patients will actually um, abandon their therapy. And the main reason is because this cough is just more than they can handle. Hopefully, they don't abandon their therapy without talking to their physician and getting on a different medication. But yes, some patients will say, I can't tolerate ACE inhibitors because I cannot have that cough all the time. It's driving me bonkers. Hypotension, obviously, any medication that is going to decrease blood pressure can cause it to decrease too much. So we could have hypotension. Patient could have orthostatic hypotension. So be gentle with them when transitioning from, you know, lying to standing, lying to seated, seated to standing. Disruptions in taste would be another reason why a patient may not want to take this medication. It can increase lithium levels and put that patient at risk for lithium toxicity. And remember, lithium has a really narrow therapeutic window. So when a drug has a narrow therapeutic window, it's you know too low, it's not going to work, too high, it's actually pretty toxic. And there's just a small range where it's just right. It's like that Goldilocks zone. So lithium toxicity is no joke, and you would not want to push someone into that. And then the other one that's going to be on your exams and you want to definitely watch for in the clinical setting is angioedema of the lips, tongue, and face. So Anytime you have swelling of the face, the lips, the tongue, the neck, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about the patient's 
airway and their ability to maintain a patent airway. Excellent. So angioedema, yes, can definitely be life threatening. And we'll do a whole podcast episode on angioedema because it's interesting and the way we treat it is interesting. And I want you guys to have that down solid because it will come into effect in the clinical setting. So again, let's just do a quick recap on this one. Angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitors, otherwise known as as ACE inhibitors are going to disrupt that RAS pathway. So let's talk through that RAS pathway again. Let's see if you can remember it. Renin is secreted by the kidneys in response to lower blood pressure or lower levels of sodium. Very nice. What does renin do? Renin is an enzyme that acts upon Angiotensinogen to do what? It converts angiotensinogen into angiotensin 1. And then angiotensin converting enzyme, the hero of our story, it's going to cleave those amino acids from angiotensin 1 to do what? That turns angiotensin 1 into angiotensin 2. Two. So now let's talk real quickly about all the ways that angiotensin 2 exerts its influence physiologically. It's going to increase systemic vascular resistance and MAP through vasoconstriction. It's going to increase blood pressure. It's going to stimulate the reabsorption of sodium in the renal tubule to promote fluid retention. It's going to stimulate the pituitary to release antidiuretic hormone, which increases fluid retention. It's going to trigger the thirst center. It's going to facilitate the release of norepinephrine. And what does norepinephrine do? It causes vasoconstriction. It's going to stimulate cardiac hypertrophy and tell the adrenal cortex to release aldosterone. What's aldosterone do? It's going to tell the kidneys to increase sodium and fluid retention. Awesome. So again, ACE inhibitors end in PRIL. We're going to use it to treat heart failure. We're going to use it to treat hypertension. And we're going to give it after myocardial infarction. And the things you need to really be aware of with ACE inhibitors is that risk for hyperkalemia, that cough that patients get that they complain about, the hypotension that can occur, taste disruptions, it can increase lithium levels and cause angioedema. So there you have it, you guys, your short and sweet overview of ACE inhibitors. And if you guys are taking pharmacology or working in clinical and you are as passionate about doing things super safely like I am, then I'm going to include a link to my Bulletproof Your Medication Administration Guide. So I know in nursing school, you learn the five or six rights of medication administration. Actually, at the bedside, I go through about 10 of these, and they're all super important, and I want you to start incorporating those into your practice. So the link will be in the episode notes, so I invite you to go and check that out. Next week, we will be back here, same time, same place, and we're going to be diving into low-risk labor and 
delivery. So we'll just be going through the normal physiological things that happen during labor and delivery. You have to learn the normals before you can learn the abnormals. So this one was a ton of fun for me to put together because I got to go back and do a ton of research on labor and delivery. So I'm super excited to share that with you guys. So I will see you back here next week. If you are scared you're going to miss it, just subscribe to the podcast. You guys makes it super easy. It just shows up magically for you on your mobile device. Okay. See you next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.